courtesy of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Receptionist, and yes, your host, your servant, the Jester. Oh, my Lord. We're wired that way. No point in fighting it. Downstairs, a loner impales and makes the sleeping sound. A spring, a spring, how marvelous spring. Everyone knows it's doing its thing. It gives a big lift when wrapped as a gift, a very likable toy. It's falling in place when you smile to your face. Something you can enjoy. It's slinky, it's slinky. For fun, it's a wonderful toy. It's slinky, it's slinky. It's fun for a girl and a boy. When Slinky Mobiles with big thinking wheels and persons that move as it goes. It makes a great sound when you pull it around with drivers or no tiny fellow. A slinky dog, a slinky train, many more wonderful toys. Your tugs do spring, they do their thing, they're great for girls and boys. They're slinky, they're slinky, really wonderful toys. They're slinky, they're slinky, they're fun for girls and boys. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you're tuned in for the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the boss. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Pig. 
Hiddledy, hiddledy, diddledy, piddledy, hiddledy, widdledy, hoodoo. Pickleby, tickle me, you know where. Under the kilt and through the hair. If you tickle me in the wrong place, I'll pick up my kilt and I'll piss in your face. Zum, zum. Ziddledy, biddledy, hoodoo. Ziddledy, biddledy, hoodoo. That's my uh, Irish impression. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's uh, some day and some date of some particular year. Welcome one, welcome all. Have a come on, have a seat. Make yourself at home. Just uh, sit in an orderly fashion and uh, we'll get to the show. And such a show as Grandma Jester would say. By the way, thanks for asking. My sister's pretty much still got one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. My brother, um, one of my brothers went to go visit her today and uh, I spoke to him on the way back. He drove up to see her. I guess it was about three and a half hour drive uh, from where he lives up to uh, Boston where she lives. And, you know, so he told me that basically it didn't seem like she was 100%, um, didn't seem like she knew who he was. Couldn't be sure that she was fully aware of who he was. Which is too bad, probably the beginning and the end, you know. I tell you, when I get to that point where I'm just like in a fog and I don't know, you know, what the fuck, that's it. I'm out of here. That's where my codicil springs into action. My living will. What I do is I have some guy sneak up from behind me and just put one right in the back of my fucking head. Boom. Fast, clean, simple, easy. That's what I want. So I said to him, what kind of arrangements, you know, are being made? I, you know, I got, I got to kind of... S- you know, like psych myself for this family, you know, get together. And let me tell you, these family hoedowns from my family, it's not a pretty scene. So it's the kind of sort of thing you want to brace yourself for. And so anyway, he goes, well, you know, I told uh, his um, her uh, girlfriend, Alma, the woman she's been living with for 30 years, whatever. He says, I told her that I'll be back after she's died to collect her. He like right away goes into like, you know, like lawyer mode, but not even like nice lawyer, like creepy, freaky, you know, kind of make your fucking skin crawl kind of lawyer mode. So he says he's going to go pick up her personal effects. I'm thinking to myself, her personal effects? The fucking woman had nothing, man. What the kind of personal effects? Her fucking jewelry? What kind of vultures are these fucking people? So he says, yeah, he says her will says that she wants her father or her brother to sprinkle her ashes, so I'll go get her ashes. Like, you know, there's no discussion. Did you think by brothers she may have met you? I am, after all, one of her brothers. But, you know, you know what? I didn't say that, obviously, because I have no interest in being the one that sprinkles the ashes. So he says, so I'll take her ashes and I'll sprinkle them over our other brother's grave. I'm like, I'm going to argue with that. And what he does with her personal possessions, you know, I don't give a fuck. I mean, would I like to have a couple of things, maybe a couple of photographs? 
you know, that'd be nice. But um, I, I'm I'm not going picking through her stuff with my other brothers and my parents, and I'm certainly not going to expect any of them to set anything aside and say, oh, this may be something, uh, you know, that uh, Jess uh, would like to remember his sister. So I got the stuff she gave me, and I got the stuff that we did together in my head, and, you know, and that's that. That'll have to do. Hey, uh, you're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio, uh, coming to you from a secret location. Uh, outside your universe, um, going to be uh, playing some, uh, uh, talking about what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours. And of course, what's going on in that sick fucking world of mine, obviously. Uh, as you know, I have, um, I can't afford to see a therapist, you know, uh, 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 you know, seven days a week. So instead, I talk to you in lieu of therapy. And, you know, it's working out pretty good. Plus, I got the therapy top of that, which I'm going to at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll see how that helps. But, you know, it's been a lousy week because I had this big conversation with the Jeff I told you about at the beginning of the week. I was like, hey, did you notice that we were broken up? And she was like, yeah, what's up with that? And I was like, well, you know, it's too bad that we just let that go considering... The deal was that I was <laughs> going to be very, remember this whole long conversation we had where I said, now I'm going to be not talking for a while and I'm going to be sort of acting like I disappeared off the face of the earth, but we both understand, you know, that that's something I need to do and t it's temporary. And she was like, yeah, definitely. And then the next thing you know, she's like, wow, you were just like, were totally not talking to me. So of course... I considered us broken up. I was like, yeah, you probably, you remember that whole long conversation we had last summer? Oh, did we? Oh, well, that's, that's a horse of a different color. So now where do you go with that? You know, we haven't even had a single conversation about it since then. I told her I was pissed off at her for not fighting a little fucking harder if she felt like I was slipping away. Why didn't you lift a finger for crying out loud? That was pretty much the last thing. Anyway, time for the uh, news from high atop uh, Jester Radio Studios from a secret location. Outside your universe. It's time now for the Jester Radio World News. Hillary Rodham Clinton's crushing losses in Maryland and Virginia highlight an erosion. Uh, in what uh, has been solid advantages among women, whites, and older and working class voters. While this week's results, you know, i got to tell you, man, I'm getting really skeptical about what, uh, why the media keeps pressing, um, you know, these, these differences. We always talk about how, you know, in our most politically correct moments, we constantly talk about how we should remain colorblind and sexblind and so on, and it just seems like Every single fucking word out of our mouths is this guy is a fucking white guy, this guy is a black guy, this is a woman, this is a man. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, if the AP, if the New York Times doesn't realize that most readers realize that know already by now that Barack Obama is black and that Hillary Clinton is a woman, they should really just let it go. 
whoever doesn't know it by this point, uh, you know, I would say they're pretty much off the off the grid anyway. While this week's results can be explained by those states' relatively large number of blacks and well-educated residents who tend to be Barack Obama supporters, her presidential campaign can be doomed if the trends continue. You know, I'll tell you a story in a little bit about a guy, a quadriplege, who was dumped out of his wheelchair. I'm sure you've all seen this. This video has been going around the Internet uh, for the past day and a half. Some fucking cunt um, woman deputy um, tells this guy, get up out of his wheelchair. He says, I'm a quadriplegic. And she just casually walks around behind him and dumps him smack on his face. Turns out the guy's got like six broken ribs. I mean, he he's he's paralyzed from the neck down, so he doesn't even know he he didn't even know what damage was done to him, and he sat in this fucking wheelchair for nine hours waiting to be processed by this miserable cunt. Anyway, the video is everywhere, and you know, the, the, wherever there's video, there's this endless commentary, and I love to read this commentary, see what people are thinking. And all, you know, there was this huge contingency that were saying the woman, the deputy was black and the guy in the wheelchair was white. So even though nobody had said a thing about race, race had nothing to do with it. The guy never said the woman called him a honky before she dumped him out of the wheelchair. She just abused him. He was a, a disabled person that she abused. But nobody ever said a word of that race had anything to do with it. But a lot of the comments centered around, you know, how, oh, uh, she's a fucking nigger. Nobody, and notice how nobody's saying anything about how she's a nigger and he's a white guy. Meanwhile, if it were if it were the other way around, then Reverend Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson would be down there like fucking white on rice, whining and complaining that it was a racial issue. So here are these guys, quite ironically, in the truest sense of the word, complaining uh, how it would be if the circumstances were differently, and they're still complaining, even though it's not those circumstances. They're complaining, nevertheless, for what the would be if it were. And not only are they complaining that these guys would exploit the racial issue, uh, but they're... Yikes. The fuck was that? You want to look into that, Bob? That Was that the new cable we just got? Not only were these guys complaining about these about what would have happened but they were in fact themselves exploiting the racial issues when it was never an issue so again we 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 keep doing this where we we just make believe that we're so sophisticated and colorblind but the truth is we're obsessed with each with our differences from each other and the, our leaders um just um, and our media just point out these these fine these fine differences constantly, constantly reminds me of that that Star Trek episode where you know that that one guy is black on the you know on the left and white on the right you know and 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 he's prejudiced against the other guy and he's also black on one side white on the other side and and Spock goes but I don't understand why do you why do you keep calling them this other race? They're the same as you. They're half black and half white. And the guy, the actor, is played by the Riddler, you know, Frank Orshin. And he goes like fucking apoplectic. He has like this this vein sticking out on the top of his forehead. He's like, the same as me. The same as fucking me. What the fuck are you talking about? And Kirk's, and Spock says, well, I mean, you're, you're black on one side and white on the other side. 
he's black on one side, right on the other side as well. And Frank Gorshin is like, go, goes, but he's black on the left side. I'm black on the right side. Don't you see the difference? It was like very funny, sort of a, um, a, a kind of a 1960s, you know, commentary about racism and about how we will just find differences in each other. Um, you know, if they can be found, we'll root them out and make them the issue. Clinton's holding on to some of her supporters who are largely defined by race, often by level of education. By the way, they're only defined that way by the people that define them. I'm sure if we go around and talk to them each individually, there's plenty of representations from each group, maybe perhaps more from one group. But is that really the story? Is it really the story is how many niggers like Obama and how many women like Hillary? Or is the story this is what Obama stands for and this is what Hillary stands for? Doesn't seem to be because every fucking news story I read is about their uh, how well they're doing in their own groups of race and sex. Uh, often by level of education, such as low-income white workers, older white women, exit polls, a voter show. She's also been losing other blocks, again, stamped by uh, personal characteristics such as blacks, men, and young people, both black and white, and better educated whites. The latest defeats have slowed the one time. What I don't understand, I've never been a big fan of Hillary's. Um, she's okay. She's a bit of a phony baloney. She's certainly no statesman um, like the brilliant statesman that her husband was. Uh, despite what people have said about him, it was an amazing eight years that this country had um, when he was the executive um, officer. Um, amazing, you know, for me, I'm sure it was for you. Think back. Um, and how peaceful and how uh, prosperous those times were. But... Um I tell you, I have uh, been listening to these, you know, as another thing I can't help uh, myself from doing is listen to these uh, ultra right-wing radio hosts like Rush Limbaugh and all these guys. Just can't fucking help myself. And um, there is such a hate. I mean, uh, uh, like a real re revulsion for the Clintons on these, um, on these conservatives' parts. And I got to tell you, um, it really makes you wonder what the fuck is that boner they have for this for these fucking people. They talk about how slimy and dishonest. I mean, I have never seen anybody in my life, much less in office, slimier than what the, these fucking people have put up for, in my lifetime. You know, Clinton, Reagan, Bush, Bush. This has been a, you know a horrible run the Republicans have had. Corrupt, evil lying sacks of shit and they call the Clintons liars? I just don't fucking get it, man. What is it they fucking hate about the Clintons so much? I really, I wonder. That he's getting his dick sucked? I mean, man. If that's what you fucking hate about, you know, then I'm fine with that. Then that's great. That's really what it boils down to, that these people are li living their lives on their own values, not on, you know, the phony baloney Christian values, then that's fine. Then that's great, in fact. I would expect them to be um, revolted by them. The checks aren't in the mail, but they will be soon. President Bush signed legislation today to rush rebates ranging from 300 to 1,200 to millions of people. 
the centerpiece of government efforts to brace the wobbly economy. First, though, you must file your 2007 tax return. Duh. By the way, I wonder where that money's coming from. Oh, all the people that pay the taxes. I get it. And so first they pay it. It goes through the government, gets ground up. I guess what nowadays they say the government um, wastes 75 cents on every dollar. So And then they fucking spit it back out to you. Why don't they just not take it in the first place and save billions? Think of how much money processing um, they could save by just not, you know, by just lowering the fucking tax rate, that, that, that amount. Or making a fair tax or a flat tax or eliminating income tax like we had for the first 150 years here in the country. More than 130 million people are expected to get the rebate starting around May. Congress pushed the Federal Reserve and Wall Street are hoping the money will burn such a hole. By the way, the Federal Reserve has nothing to do with the federal government. They're a private banking consortium, um, you know, made up of this old, long-time fucking money. Every single dollar that goes into circulation in the United States is produced by them at interest. So there's no possible way of ever paying them back. And the country's been enslaved to them since 1908, since the formation of the um, Federal Reserve Bank. And it's a scam. You people should be looking into that. Wall Street are hoping to make money will burn such a hole in people's pockets that they won't be able to resist spending it. They hope. They hope and hope that they're not using it to pay medical bills or credit card bills and lower those 24% interest rates. They hope instead they'll frivolously go out and spend it on... I can't even fucking imagine what. Flat panel TVs. Can you get a flat panel TV for 300 bucks? You can't even get one for 1200 bucks. What can you get for 300 to 1200 bucks? A couple of dinners with the family? Some clothes, maybe? Pay off a couple of emergency bills that they're shutting off the phone or the electricity. And that's it. It'll do gots. Spending is supposed to give an energizing jolt to a national economy that's in danger of toppling into a recession if it hasn't already. And by the way, what a brilliant scheme. Uh, take a government that's already in fucking hock up to its eyeballs with a $300 billion, trillion dollar fucking deficit and, uh, you know, send more of the tax money back to the fucking taxpayers for a phony baloney. Uh, it's voodoo economics. It was like when Ronald Reagan said that, well, yes, it's true that the, the rich are the only ones making money from my tax scheme, but, but that money that the rich people have will trickle down, he said, to the poor people. They call that trickle-down economics. We'll give a lot of money to rich people, and the poor people who work for them will get uh, better, bigger bonuses at Christmas. Whether people actually spend the money remains to be seen. A recent uh, AP Ipsos poll indicates most people have other plans. 45% said they plan to pay off bills. 32% said they would save or invest it. Only 19% said that they would spend their rebates. But we know people are so full of shit. They also say on, you know, on December 31st that they're really going to start working out next year. They're going to join a gym. 
Senate Ethics Committee said today that Ohio, uh, rather Idaho, Senator Larry Craig acted improperly in connection with men's room sexting last year and had brought discredit on the state. You know, folks, I got to tell you, no love lost between the old jester and lying hypocritical perverts. Um, But I think we're a little too fucking uh, homophobic and anti-gay about this whole thing. If the guy's a fucking homo, first of all, is there no other better way that we have to get guys from having sex in airport toilets than arresting them and putting them on TV? Can't we do something a little more discreet? Like put up a sign that says, please, no homo sex. Or maybe they could have an officer, not a a, a, a plain-closed sting fucking undercover guy, but how about just a cop standing in the toilet? I think that would discourage most people from humping each other in the stall, having a uniformed cop standing there. Certainly be a lot fucking cheaper than an undercover guy and this whole sting bullshit. Why don't they just put up a sign and have a cop? What is that, 25 bucks? Give the cop a box of donuts. I mean, it's not like he's going to be fighting any criminals in there. Why do we do this to each other? Why do we make such a big fucking stink about somebody wanting... I mean, if anything, these people are fucking pathetic, sticking their dicks through fucking holes in in bathrooms. They're certainly not, uh, you know, harming the fucking world. And don't give me your horse shit about, oh, what if my fucking child walked in and saw it? Your child would live on. They'd manage to make it past. I know, I know, it's all about the children. I know. But somehow they'd, they'd manage to survive. And you know what? I doubt if they'd see anything anyway. In a letter to the Republican senator, the ethics panel said Craig's attempt to withdraw his guilty plea after his arrest at a Minneapolis airport was an effort to evade legal consequences of his own actions. Craig's actions constitute improper conduct, which has reflected discreditably on the Senate, the letter said. In an emailed statement, Craig uh, told Jester Radio that he disagreed with the ethics panel's action. Uh, While I'm disappointed and strongly disagree with the conclusions reached by the Senate Ethics Committee, from the outset, I have encouraged the committee to act in a timely fashion, and they have done so. I will continue to serve the people of Idaho. What? You know, by the way, there was a time. I mean, the guy is a fucking slime. He is a he is a obviously some kind of reprobate, and he obviously was looking to to, to you know uh, uh, you know get get some uh, anonymous sex going. In the bathroom, apparently this was a bathroom that had been known for it, and apparently this is a senator that's been known for being a homo, closet homo for years. So everything about that is disgusting. I hate fucking people who are ashamed of who they are, um, but, you know, that's that's their fucking problem, not ours. And I hate people that, um, you know, lie. I always, you know, thought that it was pretty shitty of Rosie O'Donnell, who was obviously fucking gay, and it would have meant so much to so many women for her to come out of the fucking closet when she was doing that stupid show of hers, and she constantly denied it, you know, and, you know, it's one thing for everybody to be up their ass about it and for them to say, well, you know, it's none of your fucking business, but for them to deny it, you know, it, it does hurt people. It hurts the people who are gay and who don't want to fucking deny it who want to live a fucking honest life. So it's too bad. It's really, it's too bad. It's too bad for everybody. No love lost, like I said, you know, on Senator Larry Craig. But, 
I have no sympathy for these phony sting operations at these uh, these these mutual back slapping uh, fests that these fucking cops put on to you know to uh, I- I- impress the constituency. These phony baloney uh, roadside fucking stings where they pull people over and you know. Uh, uh, check them for alcohol. I can't even think of anything more unconstitutional than pulling somebody over just in case they may have broken the law. I mean, what the fuck? Where did we, how did we fucking get so far, uh, slip so far down into the fucking, you know, like uh, Nazi Germany? Where is the papers? Show me the papers. Step out of the vehicle and prove to me you haven't broken the law. What? I tell you, maybe it's just me. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown this winter's day in a deep and dark December. Ah, time, 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 what's become of me? around leaves I don't know how they do that sound I'm still trying to figure out how they do that you know from come together although I did see um, uh, them do it live one time and they just said into the microphone so I don't know if that's what they're doing in the studio 
So here's the deal. Um, podcast is back up and running. So easy to get uh, a hold of that because all you got to do is go over to justaradio.com and click on podcast. You don't even really have to click on podcast because on any page on the site, if you happen to be using a web browser that has built-in RSS aggregation, such as Internet Explorer 7 or Opera or Mozilla Firefox, then you will see an icon light up indicating that the page has an RSS feed associated with it. And if you just click on that icon, then you can just, uh, you know, get the you know show downloaded so that that way you have the show downloaded to your iPod or to your Zune player or whatever every morning when you wake up and you can listen to it on the way, on the way take it with in case you missed any of it at night and you can play it for your friends and say did you hear about this sick fuck did you hear this this wacky shit that he's saying and they're like no what and you're like oh my god check this shit out and they're like, no way. And you're like, yes way. What? Oh, sorry. Uh, the um, podcast at uh, jesterradio.com. One of the world's most wanted and elusive terrorists, Imad Mugninya, 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 was killed in a car bombing in Syria nearly 15 years after dropping out of sight. The one-time Hezbollah security chief was the suspected mastermind of attacks that killed hundreds of Americans in Lebanon and of the brutal kidnappings of Westerners. You know, this is the kind of thing that the Israeli Mossad would do if only there were any Israelis involved um, in this guy's uh, shit. If only, if only it were uh, the United States that did it. Too, uh, too high a hope to hope for. Lebanese Shiite militia group Hezbollah and its top ally, Iran, blamed Israel, of course, <laughs> today for the assassination. Israel denied any involvement, but officials made no effort to conceal their approval of his death. By the way, this is something Israel has been doing for, you know, decades. Um, they did this to the um, terrorists who, um, you know, kidnapped the Israeli uh, guys at the uh, Berlin uh, um, Olympics. And uh, they hunted, you know, each one of these guys down and killed them, you know, in their sleep, in their fucking beds, in their homes, in front of their wives and children. They just brutally fucking hunted them down. It took, you know, like uh, 20 years to get every last one of them. Mugninya was also on the FBI's list of most wanted terrorists, and the U.S. State Department also had offered a $5 million reward for information leading to his arrest or conviction. He was indicted in the U.S. for his role in planning the 1985 hijacking of a TWA airliner in which a U.S. Navy diver was killed. The United States uh, welcomed Mugdinya's death. The world is a better place without this man in it, said State Department spokesman Sean McCormick. One way or the other, he was brought to justice. From Beirut to Dharan, he orchestrated bombings, kidnappings, and hijackings in which hundreds of American service members were killed. Pentagon, Pentagon spokesman Jeff Morrell said in a statement, hopefully his demise will bring some measure of comfort to the families of all those military men he murdered. What? It'll bring comfort? Not it'll bring an end to the fucking misery that this, the, of this guy's 40-year reign? It'll bring comfort? His death will bring comfort. 
Hopefully. The hijacking was the only attack on Americans for which Mugdia was charged, but he carried out or directed a series of terrorist spectaculars aimed at the United States and Jewish targets. Mugdia's death was the latest in a series of blows to major terror figures in recent weeks. Abu, Abu Laith Alibi, senior al-Qaeda leader, was killed in Pakistan in late January by a missile fired by a U.S. drone. This week, Pakistani security forces critically wounded and captured Mansour Dadula, top Taliban figure in a firefight near the Afghan border. But Mugniya, a Shiite Muslim not known to be connected to the Sunni al-Qaeda or Taliban, hearkened back to an earlier era of terror. A secretive underground operator whose name was not even known for years, he was one of the first to turn Islamic militancy's weapons against the United States back in the 1980s. Mugdiya's emergency, uh, or rather emerged, during the turmoil of Lebanon's 75 to 90 civil war, rising to become Hezbollah's security chief, and the dramatic suicide bombings he's accused of engineering in Beirut were some of the deadliest against Americans up until al-Qaeda's September 11 attacks. And then he basically vanished, reportedly uh, underwent plastic surgery, moving between Lebanon, Syria, and Iran, on phony, uh, likely government-provided passports, but Western intelligence agencies believe that he then took his terror attacks abroad, hitting Jewish and Israeli uh, interests in Argentina. And that was probably his fatal mistake. Because uh, the Americans say that they'll smoke them out where they live, but the fucking Israelis actually do it. Meanwhile, Congress today moved to prohibit, by the way, uh, got anything to say about it by pissing you off? Well, say something about it, man. What do you got? What are you, some kind of fucking pussy? Give us a call, 646-502-8600, and just say what you got to say, my man. Don't be dissing me behind my back. Congress today moved to prohibit the CIA from using waterboarding or other harsh interrogation methods on terror suspects despite President Bush's threat to veto any measure that limits the agency's interrogation techniques. Let me summarize that for you, or for the slower, less intelligent folks listening in. Congress, this is the lawmaking body of your country, um, finally, after all this debate going on for all these years about waterboarding, finally moved to make it perfectly clear to the administration by way of a law banning the use of waterboarding and other such techniques that are widely traditionally considered to be torture. Even the attorney general admitted that if it were done to him, he would feel like it were torture. So I don't know what other definition there is. Um, but in response, your president has vowed that if the Congress does propose new legislation new legislation to ban torture, he'll simply veto it. The prohibition was contained in a bill authorizing intelligence activities for the current year, which the Senate approved in a 51 to 46 vote. It would restruct, uh, uh, restrict the CIA to the 19 interrogation techniques outlined in the Army Field Manual. Manual prohibits waterboarding, a method that makes an interrogation subject feel as if he's drowning. The House had approved the measure in December. Wednesday, state uh, Senate uh, vote set up a confrontation with the White House where Bush has promised to veto any bill that restricts CIA questioning. 
Any restriction is out of the question. He will not have his CIA told that they can or can't torture people. The knife. Arguing for such restrictions, Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia said that the use of harsh tactics would boomerang on the United States. Retaliation is the way of the world. What we do to others, they will do to us, but worse, Rockefeller said. This debate is about more than legality. It's also about morality, the way we see ourselves and what we represent to the world. So it's about morality, but he's worried about the world seeking revenge, which, by the way, is a perfectly legitimate uh, fear. Um, there will be, definitely be retaliation, as there has been. Um, you know, it doesn't mean either side is right, but it does provoke retaliation. When you torture people, you, you, you know, you do provoke their, their, their brothers and cousins to, um, to become bitter and angry and seek to, you know, avenge their abuse. It's only natural. Imagine how you would feel. It's as simple as that. The legislation bars the CIA from waterboarding, sensory deprivation, or other harsh coercive methods to break a prisoner who refuses to answer questions. Those practices were banned by the military in 2006. CIA Director General Michael Hayden said last week that current law and court decisions, including the uh, Detainee Treatment Act of 2005, which is meaningless unconstitutional jibber-jabber, cast doubt on whether waterboarding would be legal now. Hayden prohibited the use uh, in CIA interrogations in 2006. It's not been used since 2003, he said. Of course, the government's not going to say whether they do it or not because then the enemy would be able to prepare. They would all get together and take waterboarding lessons. So we can't have that. We can't have the enemy knowing what we're going to do to them because what do they'll do? They'll just get ready for the waterboarding. Legislation bars the CIA from using waterboarding. CIA Director Michael Hayden said that the current law court decisions, uh, including this uh, Detainee Act, cast doubt on whether it would be legal now. The uh, set of interrogation methods authorized for current use is narrower than before. It does not today include waterboarding, Bradbury said in remarks prepared for his appearance tomorrow before the House Judiciary Constitution Subcommittee. There has been no determination by the Justice Department that the use of waterboarding under any circumstances would be lawful under current law. His testimony was obtained in advance by Jester Radio. The Detainee Treatment Act of 2005 prohibited cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment for all detainees in U.S. custody, including CIA prisoners. In comments last week to the House Intelligence Committee, Hayden acknowledged for the first time publicly that the CIA has used waterboarding against three prisoners. So I believe that, don't you? I mean, I don't feel like there's anything this administration has been dishonest with us about. So if they say it's only been used on three people, then by golly, I'm sure. And and they're not counting all those people that they lined up in pyramids, right? They made hold each other with chains by the penis right? That's not including all that. Oh, okay, good. The technique is still officially in the CIA toolkit, but it requires the consent of the Attorney General and the President on a case-by-case basis. 
So they all get together. They have their, like, coffee. You can imagine this scene, you know, this fucking white linen, you know, coffee scene where they're having their scones. And they pull out a file, and they go, oh, we have this one, Abdul Amalama Ding Dong. Uh, should we torture him and make him, you know, t fucking tie a car battery to his nuts and make him feel like he's drowning? Uh, sure, why not? What's next? These people, man, they're not even fucking human. They're so weird and evil. Hey, you're listening to the Rovings of Acclaim on Jester Radio. It's fe uh, Wednesday, February the 13th, uh, the year of our Lord, 2008. Why not uh, give us a call and uh, throw your two drachmas into the thick of the fray? Cliff Richard on JR. Please don't touch that dial and don't talk to him. If some guy tells you I don't care and tells you lies while I'm not there, don't talk to him. And if he tells you I'm untrue, then darling, here's what you must do. Don't talk to him. And if he tells you I've been seen walking around with Sue and Jean, he's lying again. Lying again. Do anything that you want to, but darling, this I beg of you, don't talk to him. If you hear the words he has to say, he'll break your heart. Let your love for me prove strong while we are far apart So just remember what I say and trust in me while I'm away for I'll be true And just remember my true love is brighter than the moon above for only you And if this guy should try to say my love for you is only play merely a whim just close your eyes and count to ten Think of me again, but don't you talk to him And if he tells you I've been seen Walking around with Sue and Jean He's lying again do anything that you want to, but darling, this I beg of you, don't talk to him. If you hear the words he has to say, he'll break your heart. Let your love for me prove strong while we are far apart. So just remember what I say, trust in me while I'm away, for I'll be true. Just remember my true love is brighter than the moon above for only you And if this guy should try to say my love for you is only play Merely a whim, merely a whim Close your eyes, count to ten, think of me again But don't you talk to him you 
James Taylor live on Jester Radio. I'm your handyman. Cliff Richard before that. Don't talk to him. There's a guy that's been recording since 1958. He's been recording a long fucking time since he was just a little kid. And he started being successful uh, um, back in the late 50s. And, you know, he started out, um, you know, as a, um, I guess it was a, they were called those skiffle bands back in the fifties in England, and uh, then he started playing. He the, the, he got the name Cliff Richard and the Drifters, not to be confused with the with the other Drifters. And then they took on uh, Sammy Samwell on guitar and Terry Smart on drums and uh, Norman Mitchum on guitar, and then they 
became known as the Shadows, Cliff Richard and the Shadows. And then they, they just, like, they were crazy in England from the 60s. They were like, I had their own fucking TV show. And, um, and then when the Beatles came, like, in the late 60s, they fucking weathered that, no problem, because, they, you know, he was so popular. And then he was this big Christian thing. He converted, you know, in the late 60s. He was almost like the British uh, Dylan, you know. Well, m maybe almost like the British Barry Manilow. I'm not sure which one. And then he had a big comeback in the 70s and um, did that uh, amazing ballad, Miss You Nights, which is just, um, we could do a whole fucking show on just that song, Not never mind that uh, I'm Nearly Famous album. <clears throat> when the, when, in 1976, where the uh, I'm Nearly Famous album came out, all these star, all these um, previous rock and roll stars came out and basically said that, that they had been listening to this guy their whole life. He was like their Roy Orbison and their fucking Buddy Holly in England. And they grew up listening to Cliff Richards and and these guys, P Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton and Elton John, were all seen wearing uh, buttons promoting his this album. I'm nearly famous. Made them look cool to show how cool they were, you know, to be um, you know Cliff Richards fans, which up until then was kind of like gay. And uh, so, and he's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's never been, you know, f far from, uh, he was made, he was knighted in 95. He's, you know, he, he keeps uh, getting, you know, re he keeps making himself relevant. And um, he's, you know, as recently as just, uh, I think, last year, um, he was doing some, you know, promotional shit on British uh, radio. Never made it uh, quite the uh, star in the United States as he should have um, or as he had in the UK, but certainly has influenced, um, uh, you know, all those people that we just mentioned before and so many more. And he's not from the Liverpudlian, he's not from the Elvis school he's really not from the mersey thing he's really his own kind of music and we'll feature some more uh, cliff richard music this evening oh uh, devil woman yeah he does a, he has also a lot of different types of styles that he was um, uh, um able to perform a, a, a very believably Hey, you're listening to The Ravings of a Clown on Jest Radio. It's Wednesday, February the 13th, the year of our Lord, 2008. What would you do with your uh, $300 um, rebate that you're getting in the mail? Why don't you give us a call, 646-502-8600. Uh, Tell us uh, um, you know, what you're going to do with that money. 646-502-8600. Get you live on the air with your old pal, the Jester. Evangelist Billy Graham underwent successful surgery today to update a shunt that controls excess fluid in his brain and was expected to remain in the hospital for several days. Man, I could, I could have fucking sworn this guy was dead already. He's one of these people that, that like, every time I hear his name in the news, I'm like, damn, still not fucking dead? And don't get me wrong, you know, I like this guy. He's, uh, he's, a, he's an evangelist, one of the first... 
uh, of the big time commercial evangelist, but he's a classy kind of dude too. And he's a, you know, to be fair, he's a, um, he's a, you know, what are those guys called that are, that, that, he's a fundamentalist, believes in the literal word of the Bible. And while normally those kinds of people would, would, would be more likely to offend me because of their stupidity and denial of, of plain science, but um, I don't know, in his case, it's almost a sort of a, um, um, kind of a, a naivete and he just sort of seems like such a decent sort and he seems more of um, you know naive than than purposefully uh, obtuse or uh, in denial of plain science and of course because he's a fundamentalist um you know those guys believe in the sacrosanct word of the bible and there's there is no exception to the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill is absolutely exclusive. That's under the war, under any circumstances. So you got to respect the guy for that who really believes in what he believes in. Not like most Christians who say they believe in the Bible and then they're pro-fucking, you know, death penalty. Graham was listed in a fair condition at Asheville, um, Asheville's Mission Hospital after the 28-minute procedure. He's on a soft diet tonight. We'll be on regular diet tomorrow and should be up and walking around. We got to know what this guy's fucking eating. What the fuck? How old is this guy? His wife died back in June of a lengthy illness. Several of Graham's children, including daughters Ann and Ruth and son Franklin, were at the hospital with him today. Uh, he has preached in person to more than 210 million people worldwide in a career spanning six decades. Crusades-based ministry-packed stadiums with believers put Graham in place to befriend every U.S. president since Harry Truman and has become a confidant to many. Unfortunate term that he adopted way back in the day, this, um, uh, you know, uh, his crusades that they've been calling them the Billy Graham Crusade. Sort of seems like a, a harmless phrase, unless you happen to be Muslim or Jewish. And then it could be a scary phrase. A man hacked a uh, psychologist to death with a meat cleaver on her upper side, uh, Upper East Side apartment uh, office and seriously injured another therapist who tried to help. Police said the search was on today for the man as police tried to determine whether he was a patient of this uh, woman, Catherine Fowey. She was stabbed to death uh, last night in her office suite in a bustling neighborhood just blocks from a major hospital complex. Police recovered three knives from the scene, including the cleaver and a nine-inch knife also used in the attack. Just wait. We're going to find out that the nine-inch knife was the one that was found, like, sticking out of her head, you know. But the press... Just you know, loves the the idea of a of a fucking cleaver in a murder. They just had to use that in the headline, regardless of the fact that it was just like you know, it was hardly used. It was over on the other side of the room, still in the drawer. Suitcase on wheels filled with women's clothing and adult diapers was also found, along with another bag filled with eight smaller knives that were not believed to have been used in the attack. So we got a bunch of knives, we got grown-up diapers, and we got a dead shrink. Nobody knows if the guy who did it is one of her patients. 
The condition of the room was that of a fierce struggle, police spokeswoman, uh, spokesman uh, Paul Brown said at a briefing today. There was blood on the floor and on the walls. There will be blood. A detailed sketch of the suspect was released, and police said surveillance videotapes showed him entering and leaving the building. Police said the man wearing a green overcoat and a baseball hat arrived at the office about 8 p.m. yesterday saying he had an appointment with Dr. Ken Schinbach, a geriatric psychiatrist who worked in the same office suite as Foey. According to police, the suspect walked past a doorman into the waiting room and then into Foey's office. As he assaulted her, Schinbach ran in to help. The assailant then attacked Shinback, pinning him to the wall with a chair, stealing 90 bucks from him before escaping through a basement door. Shinback was in serious condition at the hospital. So after he, he, he slashed the woman, woman to ribbons and he beat the fuck out of the guy who came to her rescue, he stole the 90 bucks in his fucking wallet. Well, you know what I got to say now? Sounds like a Tony Soprano type of situation. Isn't that what those guys do? They, they, after they beat the fuck out of you just to, just to fucking piss you off and humiliate you, they go, give me your wallet. They just fucking take what's in there and throw your wallet back in your face. It's like their way of saying, fuck you. And there's always something there to remind me. It's Naked Eyes on Jester Radio. Please don't fuck with that dial. You're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. I walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me. And every step I take reminds me of just how we used to be. Where you dance at night 
Bridges on Jester Radio. Steve Poe, uh, S. Poe just uh, wrote a gorgeous little playlist uh, that uh, this one should have been following Fox on the Run, uh, which should then be followed by Born to Run, which should then be followed by Evil Woman by the ELO, different song altogether, and then followed by Take the Money and Run, the Steve Miller tune. So that was, that's a great little playlist. He says he, he thinks that's the way PLJ would play it in New York. That's maybe why he remembers it that way. Into the theme from SWAT. Uh, give me the uh, ring on your finger. Let me see the lines on your hand. I can see me a tall, dark stranger giving you what you hadn't planned. I drank the potion she offered me. 
found myself on the floor. Then I looked into those big green eyes and I wondered what the hell I came here for. This is just a devil woman freaking him out. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jest Radio. Before uh, the Cliff Richard we heard from Naked Eyes, there's always something there to remind me. Awesome uh, 80s arena tune with all those cool, you know, whistles and dance noises. They just made, made no bones about it. it was the, the, they were just so fucking cheesy. But uh, I love that fucking sound. That banana-rama, you know. Funky goes to Hollywood sound. That's my kind of sound. Hey, uh, you t- you tune into the ravings of a clown on JR. It's Wednesday, February the thirteenth, the year of our Lord two thousand and eleven. Actor Henry Winkler took the witness stand today in a lawsuit over the death of actor John Ritter, telling jurors he had a conversation with his friend just hours before he died. Winkler, who played the Fonz, hey. On Happy Days also gave the jury a testimonial to the comedic brilliance of Ritter, which is where you know he was obviously lying, who was best known for the classic sitcom Three's Company. I guess really the the greatest example of the rise of mediocrity in American culture. It was just the not funniest. Sometimes I would stare at her with my mouth agape, thinking, I just... why would Coca-Cola spend millions of dollars to advertise on this piece of crap? It just fucking blew my mind. And apparently the ratings got better every year. And I can't even imagine after all these years understanding how big it was and how iconic it was, how I don't believe in my heart of hearts that a human being ever really laughed out loud to that show. I just don't believe it. The John Ritter... To call him acting is just, I I mean, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. I don't know. You call that acting. It's like call, it's like say, it's like, it's like when Yoko Ono is, is on that uh, Merry Christmas song. It's like calling that singing. You know, just because you're standing there trying to do something doesn't mean you're doing it. And those other two, I mean, it was just, it was horrible. There was no jokes. The whole joke was that everybody thought he was gay. It was like, that was the funniest fucking thing in the world, is he was really a fucking horn dog living with two broads, and everybody thought he was a homo. That was the whole joke. And then you had fucking, you know, Barney Fife doing this. I mean, it was, it was the stupidest piece of shit. Even though, by the way, you had some, you had some, uh, um, you know, famous people before the Barney Fife guy was that other guy, uh, that famous, uh, you know, Jewish comedian, and the guy and the woman who played his wife, they were both well known. Waste of fucking, you know, comedic talent. He kept everyone laughing. He was a professional, said Winkler Ritter at the time. Starring in the TV show Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter died on September 11, 2003 after suffering a tear in his aorta, known as an aortic dissection. He was 54. Winkler testified that on the day of Ritter's death, he was doing a guest appearance on Eight Simple Rules. He did not suspect anything was seriously wrong with his friend. At one point, he said they were recalling old times before they were due to perform an episode in which Winkler was to play Ritter's new boss... Norman Fell, thank you very much. Who, who, who played the woman? 
Norman Fell was the guy who played uh, Mr. Roper. Um, also, I mean, great, funny guy, and even in, a, a lot of non-funny roles he was great in. Just a terrible waste. He says, at one point they were recalling old times before they were due to perform an episode in which Winkler uh, plays Ritter's new boss. He says, we were rem reminiscing, he was sweating, and he said, I really need to get some water. I said, I really need to memorize my lines, and we went one. he went one way and I went the other, and that was the last time I saw him. Interesting to know that Henry Winkler is learning his lines like apparently five minutes before the fucking, I guess that's what these guys do. You would think they would come prepared. Lawsuit says Ritter was treated for a heart attack instead of the aortic di dissection and seeks $67 million from a radiologist who earlier had given Ritter a body scan and the cardiologist who treated him that day. The trial follows uh, settlements with Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank and other medical personnel for about $14 million. So they're just going down the list. This is what p rich people do. They just go down the fucking list. They made $14 million. That's enough to finance another fucking round of lawsuits. This time for $67 million. First they sued the hospital. And they made 14, a cool 14 mil. And now they're suing the, uh, the, the, the cardiologist and a doctor who gave him a full body scan, apparently for missing the fact that it was an aortic dissection rather than a heart attack or whatever the fuck they thought it was. Apparently, anytime you make a mistake in the medical community, it's worth millions to everybody. They just, uh, you know, shouldn't ever make mistakes, I guess. And I guess... And when they do, it's worth millions to you. And that's why it costs $94 for a bottle of fucking, uh, you know, antihistamine. And that's why a doctor's visit, you know, costs 175 bucks for him to tell you it's just a cold. Winkler said that uh, for a while after he saw Ritter, the members of the cast were told then to go home, uh, but weren't told what was wrong. He said that he knew it was... Uh, the uh, fifth birthday of one of Ritter's children thought perhaps he had decided to quit early to celebrate. At 9 at night, I was called and told that he was in the hospital. And at 11 or 11.30, I was called to say, we've lost John, Winkler testified. Apparently, they lost him, so they sent out a searching party and uh, still haven't found him. He told jurors Ritter had been thrilled that lightning had struck again, that he got a new hit show. He loved everyone in the cast. They loved him. Much of Winkler's testimony dealt with Ritter's devotion to his wife, Amy Yazbeck, and his four children. Asked what he thought of his children would miss most about his father, Winkler said, his money. I mean, his passion for life, his excitement for being on the earth. This is the Fonz talking now. Many conversations we had wrapped around the children, the pride and the love, Winkler said. Ritter and Yazbeck were an incredible team. They were like two sides of a whole. Winkler said. Yazbek wiped, only like two sides of a hole. Yazbek wiped his eyes several times during Winkler's testimony. I'm actually getting a little choked up here myself. Hey, why not stop by the Jester Radio chat room where I'm currently hanging with my buds Louie and S. Poe. Louie, by the way, who it turns out is not a guy. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown this Wednesday, February the 13th, the year of our Lord, 2008. So, yeah. I was telling you before that uh, I spoke to my brother uh, who had been up to visit my sister today. She, he says that he had 
you know, like there were several times during the day when she sort of like sprung awake and her eyes like popped open and she looked for a second like she was going to recognize him or she did recognize him. And then he realized she had no fucking idea who he was. So the long and short of it was, you know, he drove up from Connecticut to Boston probably about three and a half hours and maybe spent three or four hours with her and then headed home. And the upshot of it is that he doesn't really think after those three hours that she ever knew he was there, which is a bummer. Uh, the hospice nurse said that all her organs were shutting down, you know, so not peeing anymore. But one thing my sister always did was she has this huge contingency of fans and worshipers. Um, and I'm and I I joke about this. Everybody in her family uh, has always tended to kid her about that. I'm sure, as they do, as everybody always does to everybody in my family, which is a kind of like a, a kind of cruel thing um, that my family does. Uh, because the truth is, she had this remarkable kind of following. Um, she was a celebrity, not a minor celebrity in her community. She was an activist and a um, very um, vocal and articulate, uh, um, you know, sort of spokesperson for the deaf community, uh, the homo deaf community later on in life in the in the Northeast and even around the whole country, and she acted as a, a you know a, a spokesperson. She traveled around the world um, and uh, she traveled around the country and was on a lot of TV shows and you know so on. She was one of these people, you know, you would always see, you know, talking about deaf people. She was just like sort of somebody they could roll out, you know. She was almost like normal looking and presentable, you know. Um, very articulate. You know, obviously if she had an interpreter there with you to tell her what to tell you what she was assigning. Um, and she was very influential, you know, a lot of of um, important uh, deaf people or even hearing people that are involved in the deaf community all credit her with a big part of their success because they learned sign language in her in her class and so 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 on and you know uh, somebody reminded me the other day about um, she you know the the act of teaching a language is a lot about telling stories and when I moved up to Boston um, we started seeing each other like every day and hanging out and she would do all these stories were based on her brother. Oh, I went to my brother's apartment today and we um, started painting. You know, he just moved up to Boston and uh, the paint wasn't the right color. So we went to the hardware store and then we bought the blinds and we put the blinds up and took the blinds down and all this shit. And then I'd go on to campus to meet her the next day for lunch and people would walk up to me and go, hey, man, whatever happened with those blinds? And I was like, what? <laughs> They were like, "Yeah, did you go with the beige or did you get the the uh, the, the off coffee?" So, um, but anyway, you know, you know, once you get to that point where you you, know, you don't know who you are or where you are, and you're just in a fog, you know, man, they should just like totally, you know, just pull the plug. People don't come out of that when your organs start to shut down. 
uh, you know, just we should just show a little fucking dignity, man. It's not about, uh, you know, we're all afraid to sort of step on God's toes. But if we all just act like adults and accept that there is no, you know, monster in the sky, uh, and if there were, then he's doing it wrong because people who are dying shouldn't suffer uh, and shouldn't be made to, you know, deal with the indignity of being a big mess and a burden and a problem and being uncomfortable and being unaware and confused and sad and afraid. It's a hell for everybody. So once you take that whole bullshit God thing out of the, you know, out of the out of the formula, then it's just simple of what to do. Do the dignified, noble, decent thing to do. Kill the motherfucker. I mean, in a, you know, painless, you know, way. But, you know, what, what, what the hell are you stretching out for what? Anyway, got something to say about it? Give us a call, 646-502-8600. It's a, uh, probably a non-toll call from where you are. It's to downtown Manhattan, um, and you can um, get uh, on the air and throw your two cents into the thick of the fray. Or stop by the Jester Radio chat room and say hi. All of it happens at the Jester Radio website. And on behalf of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Receptionist, and myself, um, please uh, do consider um, making a donation. There's a button there on the left-hand panel, and if you click on that, you could, you know, send us a few bucks if you, you know, uh, like what we're doing. The truth is, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, whether you donate or not, we're going to still be doing this every day. We've been doing it for nine years, and I just can't imagine... Uh, you know, not doing it. I can't imagine this not being a part of my life, and I'm, I know a lot of you feel the same way. So it's a you know cool time for us to spend a few minutes, um, you know, just uh, chilling and uh, recharging for the day. So if it's been important to you over the years, uh, by all means, head by the Jester Radio website, click on that donate button, uh, you know, and uh, just uh, give until it hurts. Just keep just keep clicking that button over and over again, and when you start going, ow, that's when it's enough. That's what I got to say. More of what you tune into Jester Radio for. It's the Jester himself. Stopping with she 
from star to star. God, that is so fucking sick. Neil Young on Jester Radio, Like a Hurricane. That was, I think, 1993. Uh, and uh, Unplugged. And, you know, uh, the rules, of course, for Unplugged is just that there, it's, uh, you know, non-electrical uh, instruments. But, um, th- th- you know, he did this all with reeded instruments with accordions and harmonica and 
Uh, it's just a stunning sound. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, just a huge number of people grew up hoping to be the next Bob Dylan, including Neil Young and so many, many, you know, great artists that, you know, then branched off and became great artists on their own. But very few of those people who started out imitating Dylan with the acoustic and harmonica sound, the, the guitar and harp and the piano and harp, very few of them went on to become really great harp players in their own right, like Dylan is and was. Dylan actually started his career playing harp uh, on, you know, uh, on the albums with, uh, you know, real, uh, you know, uh, blues singers. And uh, he learned, uh, you know, that way. And one of these guys who really is one of the great uh, rock harp players in his own right is Neil Young. And just a stunning, haunting rendition of uh, uh, Like a Hurricane. Um, Bob Dylan before that with the band I'm Not There. You're turning into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio this Wednesday, February the, what, 13th already? Criminy. Well, I mean, time flies, you know. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus says that he and his daughter, the Hannah Montana actress Miley Cyrus, simply forgot to buckle up for one of their scenes in the new hit movie. We got caught up in the moment of filming and we made a mistake and forgot to buckle our seatbelts. The country music star said this evening on uh, People's Magazine's website, seatbelt safety is extremely important. <laughs> You know, how fucking kiss-ass do you have to be to just come out and say, wow, we were really fucking wrong to appear in a movie? How about, yeah, we appeared in the movie without seatbelts because it was a movie, and we were strapped in. <laughs> and there was a crane carrying us along, and nobody was steering anyway. Couldn't you tell by the fact that the rearview mirror was missing, and we kept looking at each other instead of the road? Yeah, we didn't wear seatbelts because it's a fantasy. It's a fucking movie. But now they're worried that all the kids will look at that and go, wow, man, if the fucking Billy Ray doesn't wear a seatbelt, I'm not fucking wearing no seatbelt. Fuck that. And then they're not really worried that someone's going to say that as much as they're worried that someone's going to say that they thought that. The magazine noted that 65% of the 13 to 15-year-olds killed in auto accidents in 2006, we're not wearing seatbelts. And Miley Cyrus is 15. So you do the math. It was the stereotypical firefighters try to rescue the cat story, but with a twist, firefighters from the South Florida city of Weston spent a sopping hour in pouring rain yesterday trying to extract a kitten squeezed into the undercarriage of a stranger's Volvo. The crew tried jacking up the car, taking off a wheel, all for naught. The feline ducked out of reach at each, at each attempt to grab it. Every time they yanked something else off the car, the fucking cat would squir squirm back farther up into the innards of the car. The crew tried jacking up the car, taking off a wheel. At some point, the cat escaped undetected, prompted the crew to spend another hour pe uh, peering in bushes and scouring a Walgreens parking lot. They finally gave up and headed back to the station, answering at least two more calls on the way. Five hours after the saga began, the elusive cat reappeared at the station 
in their fire truck's rear wheel well. This time, firefighters used chunks of meatloaf to try luring it out. It went uh, unenticed, so the crew resorted to an ultimately successful three-prong strategy. One firefighter poked the cat in the ass with a Slim Jim, and then another one used a hose to force it into an open compartment so a third person can yank it the fuck out. The feline was dirty, he smelled like pressed beef, and he was wet, but unharmed. We just, folks, we just report them as we get them. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Bill Belichick has been illegally taping opponents' defensive signals since he became the New England Patriots coach in 2000, according to Senator Arlen Specter, who said NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell told him during a meeting today there was confirmation that he's been taping since 2000 when Coach Belichick took over, Specter said. Specter said Goodell gave him the information during the one-hour, 40-minute meeting which was requested by Spectre so that the commissioner could explain his reasons for destroying the Spygate tapes and notes. There was a great many questions unanswered by the commissioner. Goodell Spectre, the senior Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, told reporters after the meeting, found a lot of questions unanswerable because of the tapes and the notes have been destroyed. <laughs> this is private. This is a uh, sporting event. So, and they're grilling these fucking people. The senators are grilling these people. So I don't know if it's illegal or not for them to tape each other, but it is a game. So let them have it out in civil court. I don't see why the government is getting involved. Apparently, if anybody's been living under a rock the past couple of months, turns out that this coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, uh, spies on the other teams. Wow. Go, go figure. He tries to figure out their 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 signs, their you know the the coaches' um, signals to each other, their plays. I mean, isn't that his job? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Hey, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. It's that time now to rip a song mercilessly apart so that it just loses all its beauty and joy. It's called Turn Up the Music, I Can't Hear the Words, and it's an exclusive Jester Radio feature. This evening we're going to take a long, hard listen to Miss You Nights by Cliff Richards. We've been talking about our featured artist Cliff Richards all evening, who's had a very diverse career going back to the early 50s where he did uh, you know, stuff that sounded like uh, you know, Dion and the Belmonts. In fact, we started this evening with Don't Talk to Him, which was... Um, heavily influenced by the Belmonts. Hey, you're listening to uh, the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. Who's calling? Let's see if we can't figure this out. Hey, you're on Jester Radio. Who's there? Hey, I can't believe I got through. I know. Who's this? Uh, this is S. Poe calling. Hey, Poe. What's going on, bud? I don't know. I was on hold so long. I've got my question. What are you doing with your three hundred dollar check? Well, you'll probably get one of the bigger checks. I guess it's scaled around for how much you make. So the people who I, make I didn't make anything in two thousand and seven. Uh, no, there you go. Yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna go to Van Morrison, get balcony seats for three hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, there's not like you can do a lot with that 300 bucks. Most people, they'll do a little shopping. They'll have some, they'll go out to dinner a couple of times with the family and they'll pay some bills, right? I mean, we're not talking about 10,000 bucks here. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's not what I called about. So what'd you call about, bud? I forget. Hmm. Just uh, wanted to pick up the show. Well, I appreciate <laughs> I'm that. Forgetting what I wanted to call about. Okay, well, I do appreciate that. Uh, well, what song are you going to dissect? Uh, well, we're going to take a look at um, a great song called uh, Miss Unites. Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard's tune. Uh, just brilliant, uh, you know, poetry, brilliant melody. Arrangement is stunning, flawless, and um, I think you'll dig it. So why don't you sit back and enjoy? All right. All right. Thanks for calling, bud. Um, turn up the music. I can't hear the words. This was the name of a book. Um, when I was, I guess, about eight or nine years old, a teacher of mine turned me on to it because I had tried to explain to them that I was really into listening to the lyrics of songs like Bob Dylan. And they were like, hmm, lyrics, wow, yeah, that's a whole new thing now, isn't it? Where the shit that they're saying in the song has some kind of meaning. So they got me this book called uh, Turn Up the Music, I Can't Hear the Words. And I looked at it, um, like I, I remember having it for like a couple of days and never saw it again since then. I don't know if one of my brothers stole it from me or maybe I had to give it back. Maybe it was a library book or something. But then a uh, hundred years later, S. Poe found a copy for me somewhere and sent, sent it to me. Um, and it was all about all these you know, great singer-songwriters over the years, uh, the Dylans and the Simon and Garfunkels and the, 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 the rock poets. And th this is certainly um, one of them. Uh, this is just a gorgeous, uh, stunning um, song. It's called Miss Unites by Cliff Richards, our um, featured artist this evening. So let's take a look at, so, at, these, at these words. Uh, it starts out, I've had many times, I can tell you, times when innocence I'd trade for company. Now, you know, that's just a, uh, a sort of a classy way of saying I fucked a whore or I fucked some slut that I didn't even know her name. I would trade my innocence for company. And children saw me crying. I thought I'd had my share of that. But these misunites are the longest. And you know that they, <laughs> when you have a name for something like the misunites, you know, then you've been through it a few billion times before. And so you sort of feel like it's coming on. It's going to be another one of those bad, bad nights. And the next verse is midnight diamonds stud my heaven. Southward burning lie the jewels that I obey. Summer warm winds that embrace me just as surely kissed your face. And these misunites are the longest. And here he's saying, he looks out his window, he sees his midnight diamonds, of course, to you and me, that's just stars. And they stud his heaven. And southward burning lie the jewels that he obeys. So he's in the south. And he's saying, and, and as I'm out there facing south, looking at these stars, I'm touched by winds and summer warm winds that embrace me. And then he thinks, just as surely kissed your face. Imagine he's thinking, you are sitting out on your patio over at your house a million miles away from me, and here I am looking up at my stars, and the very same breeze that's touching my face must have also surely brushed against your face as well. That's how fucking bad this guy has it. 
And then he goes on to say, and this is where the music turns a cappella. The, mu- the music drops out, and it's just the background vocalists and the lead vocal, and it's just this absolute, uh, um, terribly uh, melancholy um, sort of, uh, the, you know, this is the first time in the song that our hero is really beginning to show some emotion. And he says, how I miss you, I'm not likely to tell. I'm a man, and cold daylight buys the pride I'd rather sell. All my secrets are a wasted affair. You know them well. It's just uh, stunning. You know, my secrets are a wasted affair because after all these years of telling you all my secret shit, uh, now they're gone along with you. So the holder of all that precious cargo is now, you know, adrift off to sea. And now here we are singing alone, completely a cappella. He thinks, thinking of my going, how to cut the thread and leave it all behind. Looking windward for my compass, I take each day as it arrives. But these miss you nights, they're the longest. I give you Cliff Richards. I've had many times I can tell you Times when innocence I trade for company children saw me crying I thought I'd had my share of that but these miss you nights my heaven Southward burning lie the Jews that I your place and the warm winds that embrace me Just as surely kissed your face Yeah, these missing How I missed you, I'm not likely to tell I'm a man and cold daylight buys the pride I'd rather sell All my secrets, all my secrets are a wasted affair You know them well the thread and leave it all behind looking when for my compass I take each day as it arrives but these miss you nights 
Dismiss your nights Are the longest Ah Lay down all thought of your surrender It's only me killing time Lay down all dreams and themes Once remembered It's just the same This miss you game Cliff Richards on Jester Radio. And there's your, uh, turn up the music. I can't hear the words. That last verse, it's almost like a fucking corkscrew to the heart. Lay down all thought of your surrender. You know, just forgive up on this idea that you'll come around. It's only me killing time. And God knows how many times I've done that. I've just dreamt and fantasized about, you know, getting the girl back whoever the girl happened to be. Lay down all dreams and themes once remembered. It's just the same, this miss you game. The same fucking bullshit I do every night. Sit around my lonely ass apartment. Playing sad fucking music. Anyway... Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Wednesday, February the 13th, the year of our Lord, 2008. And by the way, um, somebody just IM'd me that if I play her music, that she'll call and be naughty on the phone. It's just, it's got to be the other way around. Otherwise, I can't know what, you know, your music is. I can't always associate. We, we, we do play as many requests as we possibly can. But if we're going to associate one person with the tune, then you have to call. Make the call. And uh, we'll play it while you're still there on the air with us. Uh, 646-502-8600. And we'll get get you uh, whatever you want to hear. If you call in and talk to us, we'll do whatever you want to do. We'll play anything you want to play, say anything you want to say, any fucking thing you want. Separated by only a few feet, Roger Clemens and his accuser were never further apart. There they sat, the star pitcher and his former personal trainer, Brian McNamee, sharing a wooden witness table today while speaking to Congress under oath and facing blistering questions for four and a half hours. Both men stuck to their versions of the he said, she said, he said, she said disagreement over whether McNamee injected Clemens with steroids and human growth hormone. You know what? 
I can't possibly imagine how this concerns the fucking United States Senate. And let's all, you know, say in unison, who gives a fuck? Either make the rules that you're allowed to do it and just back off or make it a rule that you're not allowed to do it. And if somebody breaks the rules, you know, fucking throw them off the team. I mean, who cares what this fucking soap opera with these fucking people? We've tried to keep this story off the show, but it keeps coming up every night. And now they're having senatorial hearings. I'm a huge baseball fan, but honestly, man, this this kind of thing, it's not interesting to sports fans. It's just, it sucks. It really fucks up the sport. Uh, Clemens insisted it never happened. McNamee says that it did. His reputation in Hall of Fame candidacy potentially at stake. Not to mention the possibility of criminal charges should he lie. Clemens said, I've never taken steroids or HGH. No matter what he discusses here today, I am never going to have my name restored. For some members of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, Clemens' denials rang hollow, particularly in light of a new account of his discussion of HGA use uh, revealed, HGH, I should say, use revealed by uh, his friend and former uh, teammate Andy Pettit in a sworn affidavit. So he's a lying sack of shit. Everybody knows it. And uh, it just makes your fucking skin crawl listening to these guys. Message on a postcard to a Miss Margaret McDonald was short. Its path to the intended address was much longer, nearly 75, uh, 79 years, I should say, after it was sent, a postcard of Yellowstone National Park's Tower Falls arrived in a Boston mailbox recently with a one-word message, greetings. The intended recipient had long since left the uh, Victorian on Sparhawk Street and the sender was not identified by name. Michael Chiaffi was shocked to find the card dated June 1929 in his mail. He says the McDonald family did own this house for generations, but he doesn't think that there's anyone left in his family to pass the postcard on to. U.S. Postal Service spokesman says it's impossible to know what happened with the card. Somehow got into the mail and was sent with uh, a one-stamp, uh, a one-cent stamp from Seattle earlier this year. That's the amazing thing that, that that blows my mind about the United States Postal Service. It's the one courier service left that doesn't account for each and every item in inventory. Uh, you know, all the FedEx and uh, DS, DSL and all these uh, courier companies, they have a computer record of every single item that's sent through them. But the post office, it just they don't really know how shit gets from one end to the other. It's like a fucking miracle that anything really gets anywhere. Mel Gibson has met the terms of his no-contest plea to misdemeanor drunken driving after his notorious 2006 arrest in which he made derogatory comments about Jews. Gibson will remain on probation for about 18 more months but won't have to report at Superior Court again until uh, after Judge Lawrence Mira approved uh, his progress. Assuming there's no violation of the terms of his probation, it will be finished at the end of 36 months. Deputy District Attorney Gina Santrino said outside court, after his no plea contest, Gibson was sentenced to three years of probation, paid about 1600 bucks in fines, and had to attend Alcoholics Anonymous and other meetings. You know, I just love it when they assign these fucking actors to these bullshit-ass 
punishments, like going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I mean, they're actors. He goes, he'll sit there and act like it's you know a big deal, and like he gets it, and then he's so blown away by the whole thing, and he's a fucking actor. I mean, shit. A Ben Salem woman um, has been walking around in the snow with a bucket of bagels and goat feed, trying to locate the uh, um, her lost pet, uh, buckwheat. Iris Star and Buckwheat apparently uh, worked her way through a metal cattle fence on Sunday and wandered off in the three-acre property where she's lived for 10 years. Police have been getting reports of the goat uh, ramming front doors with its six-inch horns and uh, leaving messes in driveways in the area. (laughs) People are coming out and finding goat shit in their driveway. They're like, what the fuck? During the, uh, yesterday's snow, Star took her bucket to Lower Southampton Township. Apparently, this is a Jewish goat. She takes a, a bucket of bagels. The, bo- the goat's like fucking crazy for bagels. Can you imagine? Finally, this evening, uh, police calling a Michigan State police post got an unexpected pitch for phone sex. Calls to the Bridgeport uh, Post's main number were met uh, Wednesday with a recorded message saying, indulge yourself with the most exciting conversation imaginable. That was followed by a telephone number for a phone sex line. The Saginaw News reported the phones were working properly by mid-morning. Mix-up was, get this, a, quote, internal issue that has nothing to do with the phone company. An investigation is underway. So it's... The phone company didn't fuck anything up. That You're getting the right number when you call that number. It just happens to be the police station and the phone sex number. Anyway. Oh, okay. I'm getting an IM here from, uh, v, uh, from v. She was very insulted. V is the... Uh, a uh, young lady who I was talking about before, and she said that she would call in if only I played something, and I was joshing and saying, uh, well, you have to call in for us to play you shit. And now she's all upset because she does request a lot of stuff, and we do play a bunch of her stuff. But she's a, she's um, she's a big fan of the Kaiser Chiefs. So we don't play enough Kaiser Chiefs, and we don't play enough Manic Street preachers and so we'll play a lot more of that and when we do v will call in so why not call in and show her how to do it 646-502-8600 and um, we'll get you on the air right away and there's a uh, new sun rising up angry in the sky and a new voice saying we're not afraid to die let the old world make believe it's blind and deaf and dumb, but nothing can change the shape of things to come. Don't fuck with that dial. We'll be right back to say goodnight.
you all must be crazy to put your faith in me. That's why I love mankind. You really need me. That's why I love mankind. I recoil in horror from the foulness of thee, from the squalor and the filth and the misery, how we laugh up here in heaven at the prayers you offer me. That's why I love mankind. And the Christians and the Jews were having a jamboree, and the Buddhists and the Hindus joined on satellite TV, and they picked their four greatest priests, and they began to speak. They said, Lord, the plague is on the world. Lord, no man is free. The temples that we built to you have tumbled into the sea. Lord, if you won't take care of us, won't you please let us be? And the Lord said, I burned down your cities. How blind you must be. I take from you your children, and you say, how blessed are we. You must all be crazy to put your faith in me. And that's why I love mankind. Randy Newman on Jester Radio. I think that pretty much says it all right there. I think that's what God must be thinking, don't you? Max Frost and the Troopers started that set, Shape of Things to Come. Thanks so very much for joining us this Wednesday, February the 13th, the year of our Lord, 2003. And uh, go be nice to somebody. Take good care of your mother. And when you find somebody's soul who sees into your own, take good care of each other. Until that time, this one goes out to Nancy. Woman next door crying all night, keeping me awake. In the morning there's a 7.30 train I've got to make. I can hear a siren screaming down the avenue. I just can't seem to get awake tonight. But you just sleep right through. I can't understand your silent world. No matter how I try. Somehow it frightens me, but I don't know why. Like I'm missing something I haven't one thing More than you And all this Just doesn't fit right With my old point of view Here Stands a victim Of the fear Of a world that Cannot hear Yet a world of which If only your world somehow to touch the love you've always shown me I can't finally see 
Finally, away. Oh, 